the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. Thanks for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about this podcast. We're here for you to bring value. But today's guest is Rocco Cortesi. He is the CEO and co-founder of Intersection. It's a full-service commercial real estate management and capital market firm, capital markets firm based in San Diego. Intersection oversees a portfolio of retail office and industrial properties, and the capital markets group acquires and capitalizes assets. Rocco here has seen and been active in California real estate uh, as a broker since 1987 and has navigated through multiple cycles of commercial real estate while establishing strong relationships with private institutional clients. Thanks for joining me. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. You came all the way from Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I mean, not today, but yeah, it was a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, yeah. yeah. Amazing trip. Interesting and real estate up there. I bet, man. Markets doing do I mean, I guess there's a market there. I'm sure you asked about it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some industrial, you know, like I mean, we're big industrial buyers, and you know, that's what I was looking at. But you know, when you're in real estate, the cool thing about being in real estate is like the whole world looks different to you. Right? Yeah. I mean, every time you like my kids, I used to drive them nuts. I'd be like, hey, stop! I got to look at that building, right? Yeah. And um, well, you just look at the world different than a normal person. Yeah. Because normal yeah. per- person is just going to be looking at like, oh, there's a McDonald's or there's a you know, whatever, a, sh- a shop that I want to see, but they don't see it as like, okay, this is a this is an industry. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I always tell people, like, it's huge. I mean, real estate is, like, massive. Yeah. And and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, look around you. I mean, we're, it's everywhere you look. It's yeah. everywhere. It's where we live and work and, you know, function. I mean, it's maybe the most important, like, asset, physical asset. Yeah. At least in this country. And, you know, when you think about the impact it has on everyone's lives and, in our company, we, we tell our people that, you know, we, we try to impress upon them that, you know, our, our, um, you know, what we do as, has higher purpose and higher meaning because, you know, we have, we protect the safety and security of people. People need to do business in, mm-hmm. in real estate. It's critical to their operations. It's critical to your operation. You have this amazing yeah. space here. I mean, um, if you think so, about yeah. how much time we spend not only just in our, our homes, right? I mean, we live in San Diego, so we're outdoors a lot. But mm-hmm. if you just take that away and just look at how much time you're indoors, you're in the office, you're in your home sleeping. So you're at least in your home sleeping eight hours, even if you're never home, right? And then you're in your office for whatever, however many hours. So we, we are in a building or a home or a real estate, our just business, so much. retail. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really a, a, an interesting asset class. And, you know, um, what what I think is unique about being involved in this business is really the just as we you know said it a minute ago is perspective it gives you mm-hmm. so when you go to a place like iceland like yeah the first thing i'm looking at is like the real estate like how i mean for one really interesting thing and you know yeah. not to go down a rabbit hole but like the hotels don't have ventilation really yeah it'd be windows, too cold right i mean no they i mean there's no hvac it's just they heat the floors in the bathrooms and they have these little uh you know, they have the wall units, uh, the electric wall units. So you turn on your own heat. Yeah, and everything's yeah. geothermal energy there. So, um, but no, they don't blow air hmm. in, in, in the hotel, which actually was really nice, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, you go to hotels and it's they always... get drafted. And yeah, you hear the yeah. sound. Yeah. It's cool. So, Interesting. Yeah. Man, uh, yeah, Iceland, uh, I can imagine it is a very different place than San Diego. It is, yeah. <laughs> different markets, different... But again, it's a huge part of just economy and... 
right? The way that they uh, they do business, they have to, you know, they have a markets there, same as us. They have probably mortgages just like us. Yeah, they do. They have financing. I mean, they're building residential. Uh, it's expensive. I you bet. Know, yeah. uh, interestingly, like you know, price. You know, you you look at the Cronin versus you know the dollar for a glass of wine, and a glass of wine is seventeen bucks. You know, like it is here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, it's hard to find industry there. I mean, tourism is massive there for 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 those folks, but um, real estate's expensive. Yeah, you know, it's not cheap. And Reykjavik's small, but it's you know it's a major. You know, it's a well, I wouldn't call it a major international city, but you know, a lot of interesting stuff has happened. There. It's like Reagan mm-hmm. met Gorbachev there, you know, or I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. They had their summit there. And so, um, yeah, a really interesting place. It was an awesome trip. I love the uh, the Viking history there. I'm yeah. a big, I love Vikings. and Yeah, and there's still that. a lot of Vikings there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you got into the uh, real estate business a long, a while back, right? Quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. You've, been, you've seen a few cycles. Um, tell me how you got into commercial specifically versus like, you know, residential or... Like what drew you to the commercial side of things? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I was sleeping on my brother's couch trying to get a job in marketing. Mm-hmm. And in 1986, when I graduated from college, I graduated from San Diego State University, and uh, I was in L.A. sleeping on his couch. And he was in commercial real estate, and his um, roommate was in commercial real estate. He was working for Coldwell Banker, which is now CBRE. <laughs> and uh, I was having very little luck, and I think they wanted to get me off of their couch, right? So... Uh, <laughs> So his roommate said, suggested that I go down and meet, you know, think about being in, in property management, which is something I'd never thought of, but I just wanted a job. I mean, like those were yeah. different times. I mean, we didn't have the internet, not to date right. myself, right? I mean, but we didn't have Can cell you imagine phones. a world with no internet? Yes, I know, crazy, did, yeah. right? I mean, no cell phones. And <clears throat> so finding, finding a place to, like finding, finding, getting information, right, was a lot more difficult and finding job opportunities was really more outbound versus inbound. Like now we just go on the internet and look at jobs, right? right. Then it was different. So um, I went down and interviewed with CBRE and then I interviewed with them five more times and then took a, you know, like a day long psychological test, test, which was really a, a huge barrier to entry into that. I mean, getting into Coldwell Banker at the time was really, really tough and I was very fortunate to get through. And I mean, again, I'm just going to be really honest here. I just wanted a job. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was out of college and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and I didn't have a mentor. And then I got into it and, um, you know, what I found interesting about being a property manager was that it taught me about every aspect of real estate, like the physical components of buildings, the administrative components of buildings like leases and mm-hmm. accounting and, you know, monthly reporting and then marketing, you know, leasing and, and brokerage, you know, how yeah. you position your building uh, in the market is, you know, is critical to a success. So it started with, with you know, working in L.A. And, and just by chance getting into a business that I realized, you know, further on in my career was interesting to me for, for you know, different reasons than I had suspected when I got involved originally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really was that. I know I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and you know my dad was a had a clothing store at a high rise office building. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I was always downtown, mm-hmm. and I used to dig downtown. I like I loved like, the like action, looking at the high, you know, the high rises too. Yeah. I mean, I just always architecture. Yeah, and... yeah. It was, and it's super interesting to me. So as I got into it, I realized, wow, this is really an interesting thing to be involved with. So. 
Yeah, and you're like a sponge, I bet, right? Yeah. Just young, learning about all the different things. And yeah. it, it sure was somewhat interesting, even though some of that doesn't sound, you know, sound, obviously it's like the accounting doesn't sound interesting, you know, to most people, <laughs> right? It's like, that's but, why but, I became a broker. But the money, eventually. like, you're like, this, this money that I could make by, you know, selling this building or, you know, developing a project. Like, I mean, it's, Obviously, it's it's a it's a very lucrative business. Yeah, it's a great business to be involved with. I mean, I also really liked the community. And, you know, it was interesting because I thought I was going to be in advertising and marketing. That's what was my major. And as I was interviewing in that industry, and no, you know, no rap on those people. My wife's in advertising. Um, it just wasn't that. That wasn't my tribe. And mm-hmm. when I I met commercial real estate people like yourself, well, I mean, you're a lender and not necessarily commercial, but like this is a solid community. Right. Of people with diverse backgrounds. Right. I mean, a lot of people who are in real estate are English majors or, you know, come from other, uh, you know, faculties in college. And uh, so I just, you know, I really was attracted to the community, to people that were in this business. And to this day, I mean, you know, I had meetings today with people I hadn't seen in a while or Mm -hmm. met new new people that we'd met. We met an, you know, investment group this morning, fun this morning. Great guys. And, um, Met an old friend of mine from Sam. Everybody's down here for the Mortgage Bankers Association conference, which is a huge commercial real estate. Right. You know, um, it's the the big one, and so some old friends were here, and I just you know built a great set of relationships, and I you know kind of locked in right away when that's I got cool. Involved. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell me about Intersection. Our tell company. me, yeah, your company. Tell yeah. me, like, what what do you guys focus on, and like how uh, how long you been doing it? So we are a full-service, vertically integrated commercial real estate investment management firm. Okay. Um, we built our company. We started in 2014, my business partner and I, who, I, you know, we worked together back at CB back in 1987. We started mm-hmm. our careers together and reconnected when I moved back down here from the Bay Area. But um, the, the goal of, you know, when we, when we first connected, it was post, uh, right after the great financial crisis. Oh, so, Yeah. So we, we got together around 2011, and after I'd moved back down, I was still working in Northern California, and then you know, I decided I wanted to, to really try to build a recurring revenue model versus just being a broker, because I mm-hmm. shifted after you know, 12 years in property management into brokerage and, and had my own firm up there in the Bay Area. And so we, you know, we decided that we um, would find a niche and serve private investors. And mm-hmm. he already had a few private clients, and I had done a ton of brokerage work with the private investor, right? So merged the two, and um, he was doing property management at the time. I had a lot of capital markets expertise, and um, and uh, you know started to get some traction with a good some relate. I brought relationships to the table. He brought relationships to the table, and then as things evolved, we um, you know we found that we were both really well suited. Mm-hmm. to working this kind of client, you know, like we're very relationship driven guys. And both of us had had our time in the big companies and, you know, dealing with uh, the larger institutional investors. And uh, I think we we're really at a point in our careers where relationships were critical to us. So, so um, as we grew that uh, business from a brokerage and property management perspective, a lot of our clients came to us and said, um, you know, we work with a lot of wealthy families. They came to us and said, "Look, would you, would you guys be interested in like going out and finding some deals for us?" Yeah, and we said, "Well, of course, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, Please, like, it's a great me. way to grow. Yeah, yeah. sign me up. I'll right? do it." <laughs> and so we had always had an eye towards doing that. So we syndicated our first deal. Then we raised a couple of funds, 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, we're almost, we're selling our last asset in those two funds. They, we did real well with those. We built an investment management practice that is um, really the most uh, interesting and fast growing part of our business. That's cool. We've done about 200 million in transaction volume since that time. Mm -hmm. uh, about 100 million in basis. Uh, returns have been great, which is cool. Um, I mean, versus the alternative, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, well, I just love that it's backed by real property and it's backed by income producing assets, right? right. Versus like, you know, yeah, you can always invest in blue chip stocks or in things that are, you know that aren't going to go anywhere, but you just still never know what the stock market's going to do, right? And we're you know, if something goes bad, you're still going to have income from a, from an asset. And, you know, it's like, of course, there's the the deferments and things like that that happen right. sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, the rents just keep going up, you know, over time. And, you know, they well, they'll, they'll go up and then they kind of come down a little bit sometimes. That they Over like, what, a 30-year span? You're well, going to be way over, right? Like construction costs yeah, continue. They go up I mean, well. Yeah, long term. So like rents have to go up. And I mean, yeah. you know, we... in 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 real estate you know the, the the way the market moves is is fairly consistent with inflation yeah is fairly consistent with you know economic growth right um so it's a you know it, it but you know it's interesting you were saying that i mean you know i had my little my little run with bitcoin and uh you know it was <laughs> up and then you know we had this most recent hit and, and i got out of it with you know a small you know loss but i keep on reminding myself like rocco what are you doing i mean like why would you buy Bitcoin. Do what you know. Yeah, do what I know. <laughs> yeah. And even in my own personal investments, I invest with other friends yeah. who have real estate back, whether it be multifamily, development. Sure. I mean, in three deals right now, an apartment deal, an industrial development deal with my IRA, yeah. which is a great way to invest. Because I believe in the asset class and it's really, really, it's what I know, you yeah. know. And yeah, you can, you can, there's risk. I mean, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. And if you get involved with the wrong driver, you know, I mean, that's sure. Something dangerous. can fall apart. The deal goes bad. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I mean, particularly now we're in an interesting economic time, but you know, I, um, I, uh, I ascribe to Peter Lindemann's philosophy. He's a former director of real estate Wharton business school. And we, you know, we buy his research. Um, and he's a great guy to follow. I mean, uh, and he is, has always said well-located, conservatively financed real estate in the long term will perform. Yeah. And so we I'm a big believer in that. And I mean it's pretty basic. That's what we do. Yeah. We don't buy fringe locations. We buy in good locations. We keep the leverage conservative, like max 60%, 65% loan to cost. When the pandemic hit, we never had an issue with our lenders. Not yeah. a single one. That's um, good. And yeah, we we got through them fine. I mean we had to work hard. We had to roll up our sleeves, you know? Yeah. And, um, but uh, which, you know, we have the, you know, the, the right team in place to do it. Yeah. Thankful, um, that, you know, we had our property management team and we had our accounting team in place and we were able to support our tenants and our investors and get through that. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we just haven't bumped into anything. And I think, you know, if I, if anybody's watching this podcast and take one thing out of it, like as buyers, mm -hmm. you know, well-located, conservatively financed real estate. What do the they say? Run. The three, the three things about real estate? The location, location, yeah, location. Right? Yeah. Right. It's I mean, like it's critical. If you, if you get the right location, you're going to be fine. Yeah. And I, I see people doing that all. I mean, even if you're in real trouble, if, even if you've over leveraged, yeah. right, you're going to be okay because- right. Somebody will buy that deal from you. Yeah, because there's they always going to the be location. demand for that location. Yeah, and tenants want to be there, you yeah. know. Um, 
even now where the office markets are really in trouble, um, I had breakfast this morning with a, a friend of mine from JLL who told me he was financing a building in West Los Angeles. And I was like, what kind of product? It's like, office. I'm like, office? Really? <laughs> because it's that market's been crushed. Especially Los Angeles, right? Yeah, yeah. LA, San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is awful. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people giving buildings back up there. It's going to be tough. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen. You know, crystal ball. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with those office buildings in San Francisco because, you know, the way um, a lot of the tech companies have um, shifted their, you know, their work of their Some office remote. and work from home policies to. Yeah. I mean, there are policies to work for, like, like Benioff at, uh, you know, Mark Benioff at Salesforce built this incredible tower sales. Have you ever yeah, been to I've that? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, 14th floor is the Ohana floor, right? So it's, Ohana is about family and, mm-hmm. and they were all going to be together. And then the pandemic hits and he's like off in Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and, um, you know, I know some people, I have some close friends at, at Salesforce and, um, they've got 10% of their workforce in that building. Which is 10%. sad. They're, they're subleasing yeah. a half a million square feet in arguably the best building in it's the West beautiful. United States. It's beautiful. Like when you walk in, there's like, like it almost looks like a, a waterfall, but it's it's like digital or something. Yeah, yeah. Then they yeah. have like they've got you know all kinds of exhibits on the ground floor, and as I said, yeah. I mean that 14th floor is all like uh, you know it makes you feel like you're in Hawaii, right? I mean, yeah. so they you know I remember. Uh, when they opened the building, apparently a buddy of mine is touring me through there. Elton John like played piano, and they have the piano where he played. I mean, it's a little over the top, right? right? But I mean, to shift from that to this, I mean, is crazy. So, well, if ten percent, I mean, that that's such a small amount of people that are working in this amazing. You're paying a lot of money, yeah, for the space, and then ten percent are. Only ten percent are there, and the rest are all working from home. It's like, why would we be here? Yeah, you know, why would we use this? I mean, I know that there's big companies bringing workforces back to the office. Like, I think uh, Netflix, I think, is finally doing the same, doing that, and I've heard of other uh, other people doing the same thing. Which I think, do you think that's going to continue? Do you think they'll make people come back, or do you think the remote thing is going to win? I don't know. I mean, it's a, that's a question. That's a, a dialogue we've I've had twice today with the people that I met up with, and so. Here, I think the work from home thing is is here to stay. Yeah, I think hybrid is here is really what it's evolving to. Yeah, and so, but then you have Amazon, Salesforce, uh, Google, Facebook, all laying off a lot of people right now. They right. overstaffed for really what they needed to do during a very you know frothy time. So sure. so they're laying people off, so they don't need as much space as well. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a double whammy, yeah. right? Yeah, and um. So, and, you know, those tech-driven office markets right now have a conundrum. And, you know, so what people are talking about, um, um, you know, converting these buildings to residential, hmm. that's like a massive undertaking. That would right? be. Have massive. you seen people talk about that? Like, Oh, no, they're talking about it. Yeah. Like, kind of well, like the condo conversions, but way more elaborate, right? Way more work. Condo conversion from a from a apartment is, you know, you might do a few things, right? But, like... If you're going from an office, I mean, that's a whole new build out. Right? Yeah, I mean, the problem is like really, you know, slab to slab, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, apartment buildings, I mean, the new ones that are being built do have, you know, lower ceiling heights, but office buildings aren't necessarily, the newer product is not necessarily set up for residential, right? Yeah. But can you imagine taking a, you know, a high quality office building and going in there and gutting it? Yeah. I mean, how does that pencil? That's, I mean, it yeah. pencils if somebody sells you the building. Yeah. 
for and 20 no one, bucks a foot. And no one's there. Yeah. yeah you're like, like, you know, what am I going to do? And with it's this? bacon. Like, so, yeah. Right. So when this guy was telling me he's financing this building, and I mean, they're uh, in Santa Monica, it's like 350 bucks a foot. And from a historical perspective, I mean, that's almost, you know, I don't know. I mean, 40% of what wow. we were pre pandemic, you know, I mean, 800 bucks a foot. Yeah, seven hundred bucks a foot, nine hundred bucks a foot for you know high quality office in Santa Monica. So it's it's an interesting. I mean, it, it's I mean, sad too. I mean, like, what about plumbing? Like, because you don't have showers and bathroom. You have like one bathroom for. I mean, we have one bathroom for what is this? Like a fourteen thousand foot. Mm-hmm. No, well, to one, do you know, two bathrooms, a girl and a you yeah, know female but, male bathroom. Yeah, but the conversions are are crazy. I mean, that, you're talking about penetrations. So you know, I mean, you know, right. fifty floors of penetration. So to and electrical, I mean, you're basically going to, into a building and you're gutting the interior. And then obviously window lines are not set up for residential. So I don't think that's a solution. Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And um, and I was an office guy for most of my professional career. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've said this, I won't, post-pandemic, I will never buy another office building again. I mean, we bought two and we got out of them. You know, we we recapped one and we're doing a life science development, which yeah. is super cool in Sereno. And, um the other one we sold to a life science developer. It was up in Carlsbad. Um, suburban office is interestingly working hmm. in markets, um, you know, east of um, the West Coast. Uh, so, like <laughs> Cal- in Portland, Seattle, um, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco are in trouble. I office downtown. It's a you know, it's not very nice down there right now. Um, I'm, you I have other you, words yeah. I'd like to use, but um, yeah. I don't want you to have to put the explicit stamp on this thing, but it's not great down there. It's bad. Yeah. And I bet. Yeah. The occupancy's down. And, and, and what's crazy is that San Diego has a lot of um, movement, right? It has a lot of people relocating from San Francisco and LA. And so it's like, if we're bad and we're in San Diego where there's a lot of relocation, then even how much worse are like the places like Portland and Seattle and, you know, Portland's San Francisco and bad. just... Yeah. 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 So, I mean, those are tough. But what's happening though, when I, I mean, I just did, you know, I attend a lot of conferences and I have to follow this stuff and I enjoy following this stuff. And, you know, in markets like Arizona, Texas, mm-hmm. they're all back at the office. They're in suburban office parks. They're going to work. I just had a call this morning with a good friend of mine from London who's building a hundred thousand square foot. He's a fellow EO member. Mm-hmm. He's building a hundred thousand square foot project in uh, central London. And I said like, what? And he said, no, no, I mean, we, they're doing the full, you know, um, what they call ESG there, what we call like lead certified platinum. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're getting peak market rents. Wow. So <clears throat> what's interesting, I mean, maybe people will come back to work. I mean, never say never. Right. Well, don't but- you think that most people are, you know, somewhat like we're, we're, we're social we're a social animal, right? Like yeah. we need interaction mm-hmm. and zoom. There's only so much zoom. There's, there's a select number of people that love zoom. They're just, I mean, if you love zoom, sorry to say this, but you're, you know, it's just one of those things that like, you know, some people like, some people don't. Right. But it, to me, I can't, I, if I could never do another zoom again, I would Eesh. gladly never do another. You can't zoom stand again. them. Hate them. Terrible. It's just I mean, delay, it's you know, it's I mean, functional. And, and if you have to do it and you're, you know, if I'm remote and I'm in Mexico on a vacation right. and I need to do a Zoom, I'd rather do that than fly back and be in a meeting. But like mm-hmm. as a regular practice, like every Wednesday we're doing a Zoom. I just, that just to me is, is not. Cringeworthy. Not if you're trying to build a business or you're trying no. to like, yeah. Like it just, I think social animals, we need this contact and interaction. And 
there's an energy exchange when you're in person versus versus like if you're through technology, you, there's something missed. There's a, there's a gap there that I think we don't get and we don't get that social uh, energy exchange that, you know, whether you believe in energy or whatever it is that, that happens when you're in, when you're in proximity to somebody. I agree. There's something about like just being alone and being isolated and being working from home. Even if, even if you have a nice little dog, like it's still lonely. Right. It's still, Work, there's yeah. something, right? So I think that like maybe there'll be this like stickiness to the, to the at homework thing. And I think for certain people that are maybe less social, uh, which you got the introverts and the extroverts, right? The extroverts need to get out and talk yeah. to somebody and get energy from that. But like, I think, um, I mean, I'm a big believer in looking forward and trying to figure out technology is going to make it hard for people to, to work in a, in like this close proximity. They want, I think the technology wants us to be remote because that they benefit from it, right? These tech companies, they love us being on the social apps and the, you know, getting our social um, interaction from these apps and from Zoom. But mm -hmm. the reality is, I think, you know, we do want to connect. So, I think so, yeah. I, I just don't know. I, I mean, you would know better than I because you're, you're talking to a lot of people like and seeing kind of what these trends are. And that's what, what I'm curious about, you know, like, like, is that... Everybody's here in your office, Yeah, right? I mean... And we mandated we, that everybody has to come to work. Yeah. And like, I think you get more production out of most people, not all. Some people are really productive, right? From home. They can just... Yeah, fair, fair point. Depending on what they do, right? What's their job is. If they're an underwriter, if they're, a, you know, someone that just analyzes, they're an analyst or they're, you know, they're very much in their computer all day um, or in numbers or accounting or whatever. You just, you don't need to, to be, you know, managed by someone all, all the time. Yeah. I mean, we have a third party like CFO who's always at home, right? But... Yeah. But here's the way I look at it. I mean, and I, you know, I have a fairly, you know, I, I, I think productivity at home mm -hmm. compared to productivity at work is night and day. I mean, yeah, uh, I have a friend and I have other friends, but I have a friend um, who has a job at a major corp and she works two side jobs while she's working for that corp and she's at I've home. I've heard about this trend. Like I mean, people literally can get three jobs work remote on all three and get them all done, get triple the pay. It's like, terrible. Yeah. Like, I mean, so we just advantage know for sure of it's the, taking advantage yeah. of your company and these large corps, the smart ones that you see like back in New York city, right. Who are saying you're coming to work. We'll give you a you know, hybrid for sure. But mm -hmm. you're here three days a week, you know, yeah. they're like, you're coming to work. And they're, yeah. they're, they're saying they're, they're telling their people they're coming to work because they're smart. I mean, they've been there. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, how do you really grow a career? I mean, this is another thing like, I mean, for example, it's a trend at universities. I've got a sophomore in college. Two of his classes are online. And he, he doesn't even go. They're, he just goes and he looks at the, he watches the videos yeah. at his convenience. And maybe that's the new normal. But I keep on telling him like, dude, how, how do you meet? I mean, how do you meet people? Go yeah. to class and meet people. That's where I met people in college. Yeah. You know, get out and get on yeah. campus. And so he has three, you know, thankfully he has three classes on campus. But, I mean, there are so many schools that are doing this now. And I think it's a, it's a terrible trend. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I mean if I said how I run, like I said, it's just super, that's the wrong direction. I, well, you know, and, you know, things happen in cycles, right? Yeah. So maybe here we are at this point where people are feeling like, okay, we can, we can test out this paradigm. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll shift back to a different paradigm. I mean, there's always change. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of change in commercial real estate over the years in terms of 
you know, whether it be, you know, ESG in real estate and or whether it be, you know, um, you know, adaptive reuse of apartments to, I mean, office to apartments. I've just seen so many different things over the years. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, there's new technologies, uh, there's new leasing technologies. In fact, what was really, what's really interesting, like when I started in real estate, you know, real estate was not the fourth asset class, you know, it's, um, Hmm. and so, and now it has become right. And it's, it, uh, you know, CBRE and JLL weren't public companies. They were Mm. private companies and now they have, they're, I mean, they're, you know, Massive, names yeah. on their buildings and they're, they're as big and important of an industry, um, an industrial giant in the industry as like, you know, JP Morgan is banking, right? Yeah. And so uh, it's really changed a lot. So I mean, maybe we'll see people come back. Yeah. Uh, or a version of that. But, well, you know, that, that's office, it right? Would, that would solve the housing shortage if you could turn those into condos. Yeah, I think so. It'd be interesting. It, but again, it, you got to buy these things at like, there either has to be tax, yeah, you know, tax credits or there needs to be a really good value well, I think proposition. The, the government's pushing density, right? In certain markets, they're pushing like, oh yeah, add an ADU. Oh yeah, you can tear this down and build this yeah. fourplex instead of a one. You know, it's like, so you would see that trend more than like, like your average mortgage guy, right? So like, that's interesting to me is that, you know, if you bought a lot with you know one old house on it, it's on like an acre in a in a dense in a density area where you can easily scrap that house, scrape it down, and then build a fourplex or an sure. eight eight unit. Right, that's that's a money maker, right? Like, are, I mean, I know we're it's a good we're, opportunity. I'm, yeah. I know I'm in one of your deals. That, yeah, yeah, where where you're doing that, right? Like, yeah. what what was there before, and what's what's coming? It's a life science deal, building. Yeah, we're we're um, scraping an old office building and we're converting it to you know we're building a forty thousand square foot life science project. Yeah. So you know that is a um, you know a, you know a function of great location that mm-hmm. particular one, and then a demand. And you know life science is not um, the demand. Um, uh, profile for that asset class right now is is pullbacks, but mm-hmm. we're in such a great location there, and we don't come. You know, it will be done out of the ground by, I think, right right around the time that, you know, we're probably at the valley of the sofa curve, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I think we'll be in pretty good shape to get at least. Um, if, but it's just a great location. But yeah, that that's an that's a, you know, that's an example of like looking at how to use a building differently. Um, but that was driven by the pandemic and and there's been a lot of life science demand created by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think that's a super interesting asset class, but it's also a super interesting, you know, life science biotech is, is continuing to, I mean, if you, when you start to dig into it, I mean, what, um, it's not just a function of curing disease, it's a function of wellness, it's a function of longevity, right? And so, right. so the science around all of this, I mean, is becoming, you know, uh, it's, I mean, it's on fire. I mean, the fuel is hot, right? Yeah. We all want to live longer. We yeah. all want to yeah, feel better. We want to, yeah, yeah, look great. Right? We don't want to get old, you know, yeah, yeah, all those we, things. Yeah. We want to cure cancer. We want to take care of our parents. We want our parents to live help and be healthy or, you know, right. or, or people who have challenges to be healthy. So it's, it's a really interesting business, but I mean, back to like the idea of converting office buildings into, into uh, residential. I mean, the one, the one interesting, or the one I said, I guess caveat I'd say is like these cities post pandemic, like this is a big challenge. Why we buy industrial now? Because it's such an easy asset class to to, to manage, sure. and um, but or to 
you know, to create value with mm -hmm. because we're not dealing with the cities all that much. And so, right. San Francisco, San Diego, we own a property in San Marcos. So we had, took time to get stuff through there. I mean, they're, they're backed up. I mean, like Poway, I mean, all the, all the smaller municipalities as well as the larger municipalities, the planning departments are jacked. I mean, one of my buddies was telling me, and this was about nine months ago that he's, he's a leasing guy in San Francisco that he had a deal he was working on for, and this is crazy. I love tenant. crazy stories. That's I'm crazy. Ready. I'm a prospective ready. tenant <laughs> to take like 30,000 square feet in one of the office buildings that he had a listing on, right? And they really need the tenant. But they have to have an emergency generator. They had to build a new emergency generator. Why, to, why is that? Just because of the use. Um, the building didn't have sufficient backup power and they had a high tech uh, platform that mm -hmm. really needed like multiple redundancy. In case something went down, you have to redundancy yeah. on the backup, right? Right, right? So the city said we can approve that in about 18 months. See, San Francisco. <laughs> How do you get a lease done, right? I mean, so Gosh. so there are so many things that are happening. Like it's yeah. not just you know layoffs, and it's not just work from home. It's also municipalities that are you know really up against it. And then there's a house. I mean, there's a shortage of uh, employment, right? Where do you find Good people workers, that want to yeah. yeah, that want to go work for the city, right? Right. Um, that's tough, and yeah. it's tough for them. And there are not a lot of people who want to go work for the city and make 60% of what they could make, maybe even tending bar. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, the, the, yeah. the they don't pay all that much. The work conditions aren't great. So, uh, you know, we have a, you know, uh, you know, the, I think the some, you know, for me, there's a couple of black swans in the economy. Like, well, obviously there's a war, right? Yeah. Um, that is, does not look like it's going to be, you know, shortening or lessening. It's just, it's kind of like, slowly ratcheting you know it's yeah. like and i mean i think we're all hoping it just goes away and that like, right. somehow they figure something out over there and I, this is you know, just a line item in the news right now for for most of us right but like it's it's literally like it doesn't it's a good chance it could grow like I it mean, could grow outside of ukraine yeah I mean, yeah i don't even think about it but yeah. it's real and it's still there yeah and then the other black swan i think is just labor in this country uh, you know um i found this last labor report super interesting because yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, five hundred and seventeen thousand new jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And most of them were created in the hotel. I mean, uh, and industry and the entertainment industry, travel and, and, and entertainment, travel entertainment, and the the you know when I say entertainment, I'm talking restaurants, right? Sure. Um, and so hospitality, hospitality, and, yeah. yeah. So so, um, a half a million. Uh, new realtors went into the market over the last five years. Half a million. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, this was a friend like of mine. Residential here. realtors. Residential wow. realtors came into the That's national job market. And um, my sense is that a lot of those people are now back working at the hotels where they came from. And they're right. now back working at the restaurants. where they Look at the statistics of this last round of job creation. About half of it. Um, was in the travel and entertainment industry. So, well, they're probably the ones in demand, right? So there was the pent up demand during they have COVID. Nobody. I mean, think about that. And plus, you know, I mean, and this is not a political statement, but in our immigration laws, I mean, over the last four or five years, have not, I mean, we've historically had a couple of million people come into this country right. from south of the border to take those kinds of jobs, right? To work, sure. in, work in, in the hotels. And I mean, 
and they're not coming now. We've it's been you know um, quite a while. I mean, they're not coming as in a, at the kind of number that they historically have. Our birth rate is down. Dropped, People yeah. are getting older, right? The baby boomers yeah. are getting older. So, so you know, to me, like employment in this country is a black swan. Like, like it, the if the labor pool you know, doesn't shift, right? And we can't find people to get work done. Mm-hmm. Then this whole idea of onshoring and reshoring, which is post-pandemic a big economic driver for us, changes, and we have to start going back to other countries. Well, China is not necessarily the solve anymore, right? <laughs> Mexico kind of is. Yeah. So we we have some you know wood to chop on this this employment situation in the U.S. Uh, it would be very interesting to see what the next jobs report looks like. Yeah. You know, but at three point six percent unemployment, that's like too low yeah and i don't know how much of that is is manipulated and but i i certainly know from the feel like you know you get a gut feeling you get this like when you go out right and there's just things are slower things are you're not getting the same service that we used to get we're not you know, there might be tables open, but there's not enough waiters. And so they don't seat you oh, or, you crazy. know, it, it, so there's this weird time. I just feel like we're in a new America. It's different than what it was pre pandemic. hundred percent. Everywhere we go, like all of our locals, you and I live in the same yeah. neighborhood, all of our locals, like I have to sit and wait. Whereas I used to have, like, there'd be like the food would come so fast because they yeah. wanted to move you out. Right. Right. And they just don't have people. And um, whether it's back kitchen workers or whether it's just, you know, cooks or people to clean the tables or, you know, or, and there's a lot of demand. I don't, it, it feels like you, it felt like we were in a recession and then it felt like now, I mean, there's just all this pent, pent up demand for travel, for mm-hmm. eating out, right? Cause people are tired of just getting Uber eats and mm-hmm. being at home and just, no, it's, let's go out and enjoy. And so people are willing to spend money whether it's credit cards or whatever to, to go out and to, to, to feel free again now that this pandemic's over. Right. Like, yeah. Well, and they have a bunch of money that the government gave them. Right. I mean, California just gave everybody what, like 600 bucks. Uh, sure. And so, you know, and that means they're going to tax like, when the tax, the, the gas tax. Yeah. Gets right. Up. Exactly. Here you go and yeah. give it back. Yeah. Give it back. <laughs> but you won't know you're giving it back, <laughs> right. but you know, you'll hear, you'll feel better for a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> but you know, that's the thing that I would you know that I think is, um, I mean, there are, like I said, I think to me, labor is like a tricky thing in terms of the economy, but, um, the, um, this is like, I've, as you said, I've seen multiple cycles. Yeah. This is like no cycle I've ever seen. I yeah. mean, because I can't really figure it out. I mean, we're so, getting yeah, whipsawed, right? I mean, so when the jobs report is good, yeah, then the market like takes a hit because they're like, well, now inflation's coming back. <laughs> right. And you know, I was I think it was Larry Summers, I was, uh, I saw I read something that he was saying like the idea of two and a half percent inflation like what they're trying to achieve is not achievable. Right. And I, and I don't think it is. Yeah. Period. Because they just print money. I mean, it's, the fact There's is There's too much money out there. And the fact is that the debt ceiling is going to get hit and they're going to have to do it again. They're going to raise it. Mm-hmm. The fact is they're just, they're giving out stimulus. They're going to have to keep doing it. There's just. I mean, we really have a conundrum there. I mean, uh, and, 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 and there are still a lot of funds out there giving companies money. There are still a lot of funds out there. I mean, like I said, there are people are getting money from the government, and um, is that part of what ESG is about? Because I know you, you, I don't know how much you know about ESG. It's very interesting to me because 
You don't, you see it a little bit in the news, but you don't, you see it on websites, you see it on the big corporations, they're all about ESG. Um, and it's not something that I think small businesses really are kind of like in tune with yet. No, they're not. Because they don't have to be. But is there going to be some, a point where ESG is, is going to be important to small businesses or required? But like, I think that has to do with some of the money getting loaned out by the world banks or whoever it is that lends out money. There's got to be an ESG score and that helps with, I don't know how, how much do you know about that? I mean, totally bringing up a topic that we may not even be able to really well, discuss, but I know you brought up ESG earlier and to me, it's something that I keep, keep hearing about and I want to you know learn more about it because I, I feel like it's a trend that isn't going to go away. It's definitely big on the world stage as far as like international right. and, and, and uh, governance for, you know, whether, you know, whatever this, the trends are that are happening with, with well, climate Europe change. Well, Europe is very environmentally conscious, right, and focused right now. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I mean, at least from the standpoint of what they say. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the socially that is, there's a high level of awareness around it. I mean, just in Iceland, Mm-hmm. huge level of awareness around, you know, uh, environmentally and socially conscious. Yeah. Um, everything, right? right. They're a fully sustainable island, right? Uh, based using, utilizing their geothermal energy. And um, so here in the U.S., I mean, we, we're, you know, our building is going to be platinum. And um, when you say platinum, what does that lead mean? Lead platinum, like the top level, you know, the... The like highest level of, of, of you solar, know, just, solar, and I mean, it almost have to be nowadays, right? right? So, um, to build that kind of product, so we're doing that because we know that. I mean, we could probably be gold and you know cuts a few corners, but when you know, say platinum gold, is that a level that is set for building code or for what does that mean? Because I, I, when you, I, are you just making that up, or no, is that an actual? No, no, no. There's platinum, gold. I think bronze. I mean, and, it's, and who it rates is, uh, this? Gosh, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think that it is an established um, through the county. No, or I think the it's city? the AIA. I mean, the uh, the architectural the. Uh, and uh, is that a government agency or is that a? Um, no, no. It's a, a society of architects. I mean, it's. I think it's. I think it's. Um, I don't think it's building industry. I think it's an architectural certification. Okay. Right, and that is. Um, does that give you any tax credits or does that give you any kind of you can do some interesting things like pace financing like okay. so long as you have um like you can actually bill you can borrow money and then bill it to your tax uh, through your tax um your property, property tax, tax. Yeah. yeah so um you so it is a pace. way to borrow money in on a cheaper way or on a way that's not as yeah, I mean, look, it's actually pretty interesting. I mean, we're looking at it for this building as, as part of our yeah. capital stack. Uh, I think it makes, potentially makes sense, uh, although it'd be the first time I did it, so I, I don't know for sure. And I know you can do PACE for homes, right? Like, so, I mean, when I built my home, we used a PACE thing, you know, and it was, it just was advantageous to do did it. Did you really? Wow. Yeah. It was cool. a, it was for certain parts of the home, like the um, solar, right? Right. A couple other things that were like outside, something like the, Drought resistant or whatever, yeah. drought tolerant, but um, I I'm, I know it's something that in the mortgage business we see, and because um, it'll be on the tax, like as a as a I forget the term, it's not an easement, it's a um, Melarus, I think is the term. Mm. Have you heard of that? Mel-a-ruse? Yeah, yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, so like I think it, it's interesting to mortgage people because I don't know if there's a trend for that to continue and become more prevalent. 
you know? So that, that would be something to, to watch for. Yeah. I mean, is, like, is ESG going to eat kind of like seep into the residential mortgage industry? I, I don't know. Well, I, you know, I, I will say this. I mean, you made a good point at the beginning of that. I mean, in your question, I mean, I think it's really more of a macro thing, larger development work. Have and, to do it, yeah. Right? And, and yeah, exactly. It has to be a significant part of, I mean, everybody is, is, I mean, these large corps have, mandates around sustainability and you know their impact on the environment which i think is great yeah and um uh you know the mom and pops that we deal with at shopping centers i mean they're not even thinking about that right but uh and it's not hugely impactful on your you know some of the stuff that we look at the industrial for sure not interesting at all for them yeah for that i mean not even not necessary at all. i mean maybe on a brand new like big box stuff they're looking at that i mean there's a yeah, there's a level, there's a measure of that uh, standard, but but it really is more aligned with office and and you know, some of the new construction and multifamily, mm-hmm. and um, you know, larger retail deals. But it's not a big part of I don't you know it's an interesting aspect of the economy. I think if you're trying to attract great tenants, like in a life science deal, yeah, like a, a core big location, single tenant kind of. Well, I mean, a core location like we have, you can maybe get you know, another 50, 75 cents a foot in net rent. Hmm. And that equates to, you know, big, you know, big profit. Um, but I mean, right now where the economy is, I think it's relevant, but not a really important thing. I mean, I think what's really important in terms of commercial real estate, given where the economy is, is where the debt markets are. And um, I mean, you might know a little bit about that business. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the debt markets are what I think is, um, a really, I'm, I don't know how I would put this. I mean, it's a tricky time. And um, as you know, financing drives commercial real, real estate in general, like financing. Yep. And having done this for a while, I, I actually, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I really love watching the transition and the movement of these mm-hmm. real estate, com- I mean, these real estate lenders. Yep. Uh, during a time like this, because uh, especially what's what's really okay about this one is that we still have liquidity. Yeah, I mean there are still a lot of lenders out there, right? There Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, people are lending money; it's just at a higher rate, right? Yeah. It's like, I mean, but, but there's but, money to be lent. I mean, we're we're like, where are the people that want to borrow? You know, but it's like our rates are high, and and I mean, I say high relatively to a year ago. But like, I mean, they're competitive with everyone else, but it's like, you know, some people are just like, hmm, I'm going to wait till maybe rates come back down, but there's money to be lent. You know, if yeah. you're willing to pay the rate, it's like the money's there. So yeah, and, and rates have come down and come back. I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the, like, so, okay, you've been bar. I mean, when did you buy your first home? What year? Do you remember? Uh, 97? 97. My first house, 2001, right? And I remember borrowing that money as post is actually right during um, as we were in escrow during the tax nine eleven attacks and uh, the um, that would have been scary. It was interesting. Like, Whoa, what's going to happen? Like, should, like, I, wow, should I yeah. buy a house still? Well, we you know we were non refundable, so there wasn't a real choice. Yeah. But we got a. I think I remember we paid. You know, it had a five handle on it, like the loan. Yep. And then about eight months later, I refinanced it to four and a half percent. Like, Number, yes. I was like, yeah, man, IO, right? Yeah. Um, I was talking to my broker and he said, you know, Rocco, I mean, over the years, I just, I always refinance. 
um, yeah. to keep my rate down. And so over the since then, I mean, you know, I've owned three homes. This is my mom, my third, and hopefully forever home. You know, I have a ten year IO deal at like two point nine five percent. Now you're just bragging. Dude. No, no, but like you know, it's, I mean, the rate super low. Yeah, but I'm I mean, just like, I know, no, no, it's a good loan, right? But I mean, it's a relationship bank. But I mean, I have a great loan, and but I mean, I paid when I bought my home in Carmel Valley. When I moved down here from Northern California, it was like right after, just after, just as the financial crisis was hitting. In seven oh seven. Yes, we bought our house like at the end of oh eight. Okay, and I paid five point nine percent. Yeah, and I was like, eh. That is what it is. I yeah. mean, like, you know, and I bought the house. And yeah, and I think at the end of the day, most people, you know, they get it. Like, you got to own real estate just to, to get ahead, right? It's like, there's a, there's a whole huge topic we could even discuss, but we're not going to, it's too long for this, this podcast. But we're like, the redlining thing was a big deal for the African-American community because they, you know, were blocked out of being able to gain that wealth from owning homes. Right. So... So there's a whole narrative around that, right? right and if, right, right. if if they were blocked out of owning homes and so they, that community couldn't rise with the rest, you know, then like how much so should then everyone be involved in owning real estate? Because there's a whole thing about that. Like, so, you know, we can all become wealthier by owning real estate, no matter what the interest rate is. And especially if the rate's high, you can refinance it down the line and then lower your payments down the line. And especially with rental property or investment properties, like you can get it at 7% interest rate. And then, you know, you could probably break even on that rental if you put enough down. And then, you know, five years from now, you can lower it if it lowers right. and you keep it going and then rent's going up. And it's just like this magical equation that, you know, obviously if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you would get it. Like it's right. just so, it's such a, it's such a, big deal for creating wealth that that so many people miss out on and they might miss out on because they're like oh the rate's too high or you know i just don't i just want to wait for it to crash you know and so there's a lot of people and i see that the comments on different you know social media posts of like i'm just waiting for it to crash it's going to crash and i'm going to i'm going to get it on pennies on the dollar and you're like yeah, you've been waiting for it to crash for the last 20 years, yeah. buddy, and you've missed out an entire cycle. I yeah. mean... And in 08 was what, like 70 years in the making or something crazy like that? Yeah, yeah. And, so and, it's and like, by the way, you, you know, all the good real years? estate in 08? What's I that? I mean, like all the good real estate in 2008, 2009, I mean, those owners knew what they had. Yeah. And they didn't sell. No. I mean, they figured it out. The and ones that put zero down, you know, that, that, that were way upside down in their home, like they were like... But there yeah. was a lot of crappy real estate. I mean, like... Like yeah. that was stuff like way out in like the Inland Empire, like or tough neighborhoods mm -hmm. here. Middle, I mean, look, I, 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 you know, I would love to have bought a, you know, ten houses in like, you know, over in Mira Mesa at for two hundred and fifty grand a piece. I mean, today that'd be great, right? I mean, yeah. but I mean, there was no liquidity at the time, so people had a lot of money could buy deals. I yeah. mean, I think what's going on now, in commercial real estate, at least, is is really interesting. I mean, um, we have debt funds, you know out there and then we have uh banks and um you know local banks i mean i, I mean I, you probably know this but this is a really interesting thing that i think is important for people who are like watching who are watching your podcast is you know uh, wells fargo is not lending yeah they kind yeah. of they got out of the even the correspondent lending they shut that down well, they've hit their cap so here's what's happening. I yeah, was, tell uh, me about this. I haven't so, heard that they hit their cap. So Wells, J.P. Morgan, and um, B of A are not lending. They're not. They're is out that of because they don't have enough deposits? 
No, because the Fed is telling them that they need to keep their liquidity up really high. So, so in the case of Wells, which is really interesting, after they had that big debacle with you know all of the solicitation that the, the they got slapped on the hand. Well, they were doing more, some shady stuff. Yeah, yeah, some shady stuff, right? So they have a seventy billion dollar uh, cap on the amount of commercial mortgage fan, financing that they can do, and so there have been no nobody's you know. Um, they're not turning any of their loans because people, people can't get out of them. Rates, right? yeah. <laughs> and they can't get out of them. So they have zero liquidity. So they're out of the market, wow. right? Okay, so, so because people aren't giving up that low rate, there's not that normal roll-off that, right. that so happens. Right, so they can't go out. Yeah. So they can't, they're just stuck with, and is that commercial and, I bet you that's commercial, that's some residential, probably most residential, right. if, if unless, I don't know if they're still giving out you know, home loans or equity lines or anything like that. I don't know. Cause I've, I know that they stopped doing wholesale. They stopped doing correspondent lending in our world. Mm -hmm. And so that's an interesting thing. I didn't know if maybe the retail branches were still doing home mortgages, which they, they probably are, but maybe they're, maybe they've pulled way back on that because of what you're saying. Like I mean, makes a natural lot of turns. I mean, but in commercial real estate, they're out. I mean, B of A and JP Morgan are sitting on, I think I, I read or listened to podcasts that JP Morgan sitting on like 1.2 trillion of cash because of the requirements that the Fed has. Like they're like, you need to keep your liquidity up to ensure that if we do have a banking crisis, that you are not going to be at risk, right? So they didn't want to just, repeat of 08. We yeah. have to bail the banks out. So they're just out, sitting yeah. there waiting. So when you have them out of the market, it's a lot of cash that's just sitting on the sidelines. And they're coming. It's going to come. You mean it's going to be put it's going to get market? deployed? Yeah, I think so. I mean. You know, in so other ways, like what I mean, are the, the forward ways? curve is going down. No, they're gonna they're gonna start lending at some point. Yeah, the Fed's gonna stop raising rates. I mean, I think the last two, the last. I mean, I listened to Powell's last uh, um, speech when you know when he went up when we 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 raised the rates by twenty five bips, and he sounded pretty dovish. I mean, not not too hawkish. And then, I mean, maybe this jobs report is going to change things. But, I mean, I think, you know, he doesn't want to be the guy who created a recession. And I don't think Joe Biden wants to be that person. And Flake. we're coming into an election year. I know, right? We're coming into an election year. He already it's, has the nickname of Bidenflation. Bidenflation, like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It, it I mean, just it's, works out too well. Yeah. But um, whether uh, you like him or not. But, like. Well, I mean, it, it has been. This is such an. I mean, but, you know, we just got quoted. Um, we have the regional banks are back. And I don't want to name the names of any banks that we're working with, but we have some great banking relationships. When you and say they're back, does that mean they they went they paused? They were on pause. Yeah, and now like one of the banks okay we, we have four or? deals with, and they're like out of the market, not lending. That was probably middle of last year, beginning of last year. Is that because they were also tapped out? Maybe no, they were worried about what was going on in the economy. They had the uncertainty up, and they were concerned, so they just got they tightened up. They kept the reserves up. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so now they're kind of like, yeah, things aren't going to, they're not as terrible or like uncertain as we thought they could be. The pandemic's over now and maybe, maybe it's time to lend. And they well, got to lend. People got to, that's how they make their they money. They have to make money. Yeah. And so um, we just got quoted, you know, uh, a deal like 270 over the SOFR swap, which is like six and a half percent IO fixed. It's not horrible. Where I think we can get them to five years fixed. It's not bad at all. Remember, yeah. I talked to you about the five point nine percent home loan I had. I mean, they, yeah, on a value add deal that I mean, especially works. Especially if inflation is at six and a half, right? And you're borrowing it under that. Yeah, you're not doing bad. Well, and it's also a signal that we're moving into it. I mean, if you look at the SOFR curve, the forward curve, it's yep. by 
early 2025, we're in the high twos, right? So people are starting to look forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, I'm not like super bullish. I think there's going to be incredible we got some time. buying opportunities. There's some, some, it's got to shake out. And this is, by the way, I should, you know, um, be careful to say that this is for industrial, which is an asset class that is highly sought after. Right in San Diego, well, all over, globally, yeah. nationally, and you know, um, I mean, with after the pandemic, the onshoring and reshoring of manufacturing, as I mentioned earlier, is that a lot because of Amazon? You think and people buying, not going to stores, and they just they need the warehouses. Is that well? I mean, so that's an interesting comment. I mean, um, yes and no. Amazon, the Amazon effect created a significant demand, but as you know, they've let they're they're subleasing a bunch of their space yeah. um, nationally. But what happened post pandemic is supply chains got, you know, um, uh, yeah. jacked, and for lack of a better word, yeah, they, uh, jacked. they got jacked, and so you couldn't like, buy a bicycle, a kayak, a jet ski, nothing, or or paper towels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so so these these supply these suppliers needed to shift their just in time philosophy to just-in-case mm-hmm. philosophy, which means they're taking more space, yeah. right? And then, um, and then you know, we're, we're bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. because of the risk, and, you know, we're not in China. I mean, like, it's, I mean, they just, they're just now going back to work yeah. over there. Um, and so where we, and then they're not the least expensive alternative. It's actually less expensive to manufacture in Mexico. Yes, I heard, yeah. Um, and so... Is that because of the tariffs or because of just the, the length of time it, takes to get from China versus Mexico or is yeah, it just and labor costs are going or? up in China. People yeah. like are making money, man. I mean, they want, you know, the inflation's gone. I mean, people need to make more money. So, yeah. and there's all, I mean, it's, you know, if you talk to, to people who have, um, you know, who utilize supply over there, it's complex. It's not, yeah. especially post pandemic, it's been really tough. So they, they've actually limited, I mean, their production has gone way down. That's another reason for it. So, so industrial demand has been great. And that's an asset class that I think is, as uh, lenders are interested in. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I guess my general comment would be related to financing is that better times are coming. I will tell you one last <laughs> funny story. Um, as I told you, the Mortgage Bankers Associate, Association Conference is here. And I, was, I had lunch with a correspondent yesterday. And over lunch, there was, I mean, nobody is borrowing money from these guys because they're, they're trying to put out 9% money. And over lunch, the guy said, look, look, um, get, they wanted our deal, the couple of deals that we're working on, like get us four twenty four twenty five over, and and by the end of lunch, actually it was over a drink. It was over a drink. <laughs> they went from four twenty five to three twenty five over. Wow! Right. So yeah, I mean, they like, want to lend money. They want to lend money. I mean, that's how they make money, right? Yeah. So so I think you know the, the fact that there's liquidity, um, there's we'll create a little bit of demand. Um, mm-hmm. We as real estate people and our market makers, I think that's a beautiful thing about our business. Right. right. We make stuff happen. We don't feed on the economy. We generate yeah. activity and interest in the economy. I mean, you know, uh, we we create um, activity in the economy. And so as a res- you know, in that, in the context of being in that business, it's it's pretty cool to to be able to see change coming. And as I said, I don't think it's over yet. I think we have definitely choppy times, but I, you know, I'm feeling fairly positive about it. at least in in the industrial, multifamily, retail asset classes. Those are those are pretty solid. And by the yeah. way, the Amazon Amazon has created some pretty some pretty good opportunities in retail. Yeah. They've gone back to brick and timber. So, well, one thing I admire about you is you do have a lot of uh, network 
ability. You go out, you meet people, you make friends, you know, this has obviously helped you in your career become successful. Um, what, what kind of advice could you give someone in the mortgage business if they need to like expand their network, if they need to, you know, meet more people that could maybe potentially give them referrals or if they can, you know, what, what can someone do? I mean, you've done this a while, you've seen the cycle. So like in a down market like this, where, you know, the mortgage business is kind of few and far between the, the pie is shrunk. Like how, how, how would someone like, you know, a mortgage broker go out and, you know, meet people and, you know, I Start, mean, if somebody was starting today yeah, or like, or just maybe they've been in the business a few years yeah. and they're like, like, gosh, my pipeline is shrunk. What do I do to, to really kind of grow that and get more sales? Yeah. So look, I mean, uh, I, you know, in our company we have, you know, we, I, I also lead the brokerage team. I mean, I lead the investment business and I lead the brokerage team and, um, and I was a broker for a while. So yeah. I mean, the very first and foremost thing you do is you look at your referral network. I think, you know, I remember one day I was lying in the dentist chair uh, and I was like, uh, like, oh, why don't you move into the space? I mean, <laughs> I started talking to my dentist about his real estate, right? I never did a deal with him. Yeah. But I knew about his real estate. So everybody around you, if you are as if you're a mortgage broker, yeah. everybody around you has real estate in their life. Yeah. So find out about it. So be be inquisitive, right? Or be, be inquisitive. Curious. Yeah. yeah. Talk to them. Talk to them about their um so who are great the best referral source, period. Are the two greatest referral sources for a real estate broker or a mortgage broker are accountants. Yeah. And lawyers. Yeah. So who in your network is a lawyer or an accountant? Did you go to Let's the Let's just stop right here and say if you don't have an accountant or a lawyer in your network. This is the time to go get one and Absolutely. get two, get three, right? Yeah. I'm a big believer in not just getting one of something, but get two, get three, get like 20, get 20. Just go out, talk to lawyers. Like, right. Think about a value proposition for them. But like, I mean, one of the things that, you know, if you went to happen to go to college, right? Like if you ended up going to, you know, University of uh, Maryland, for example. Sure. So you, you go to the University of Maryland alumni network and you look at every lawyer who went to the university of maryland who lives here in san diego yeah and you call them yeah hey i'm an alum yeah i mean how hard is that i mean oh, i think yeah. it, right that's I an mean, open door right there. that's an open door and every account brings down their defenses immediately right and then you talk about the the good old days and then you get like a shoe in and then you have them for a drink or you go to lunch yeah and then just, you just, just say hello yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fellow alum Right. I wanted to introduce myself. I'm in this business. So I would say right now a critical element of building your business is is really looking to build your referral network. I mean, this yeah. is a time where people are going to want to do business with people that they know yep. or there's some sort of connection that they trust. And that's True. really a, you know, a key element in, you know, in, in, in getting a deal done. That's good. That's how you build strong relationships, right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to have some kind of connection, some kind of – Something that you can tie together and, and just, you know, try have the, earn that trust quickly because yeah. time is short. Yeah, one, and then two, be smart, man. Be a student of the market. Be a thought leader. Like, know. Bring value. What, yeah, bring value. When you just call somebody and they say, you know, like, why are you calling? I mean, have like, hey, you know, I, for example, one of our young brokers and I were talking just before I left today. And she said, well, I don't know exactly what to, to say. And I said, look, I mean, this is a great time to be talking to your landlord, Mr. Mm -hmm. Tenant, about, you know, a renewal. Yeah. Because even if you have three years of term left, they don't want to lose you. 
Yeah. So maybe you can do a blend and extend and lower your rate and get really resolve your real estate problem for the next five years mm-hmm. in a down market. This is the time that you should be doing a transaction yeah. if you're a tenant. Absolutely. So so look for that hook. Yeah. Right. I mean, oh, the debt markets are terrible. Well, find that, find that hook. Okay, I'm locked into it. I mean, that's a challenge, obviously, for your mark. I'm locked into a great loan. Well, maybe there's a HELOC we can do, it. or maybe there's another. You know, like what are your financial needs? Yeah. Right. And and you know, every in any given year, loans are coming due. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, True. Yeah. So really know what so, you, know so your stuff. One thing that popped in my head while you were saying that is, you know, you were talking about the SOFA and the the prediction is the rates are going to drop. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, right, what, when rates drop, asset prices usually go up. It's kind of like a predictor, right? Like in a way, because cause you get the financing. Right. And then the financing allows you to have, to, to pay a little bit more mm-hmm. for a project, right? So yeah. that kind of goes hand in hand. Just from what I, my experience is like, you know, you saw the rates drop. Provided there's liquidity. Yeah. Yeah. If there's I mean, no like, liquidity, you know, like, yeah. you're in trouble. But well, liquidity is the key. What I mean by that is, I mean, that's, a, that's an like, accurate. Like if the like, rates drop and there's money to be, you know, lent. Of course. Because yeah. they're, they're I mean, going to There drop. will be money to be, when rates drop, money comes out. Yeah, it, it just happens. But like, right. what I, my point in saying that was, and I didn't mean to throw a wrench in the question, but, um, you know, the, everybody's like, oh, cap rates are driven by rates rental rates i mean by um by uh, interest yes. rates and that's yeah. not true i mean it probably by, is, a, is probably a, a component of it it's yes but if, i mean it's primarily liquidity if there's a lot i mean we are buying yeah. lower cap rate value eight but, value but if, deals, they're, but, if they're willing to lend at low rates there's probably liquidity oh of course no right? that's what i was saying but like I mean, when rates go up, people think, well, cap rates are going to go up, and they don't necessarily go up. Yeah. You know, so I, I wanted to make that point. So but, my uh, point, though, was my prediction would be that if if there's the market, the market's pretty good at making bets. They're not always perfect. They're not great. I mean, they're not great, but they're good at making bets. And mm-hmm. they make these bets that the rates are going to drop in 25, right? And in, in later. Stay alive to 25. Right? And right. so that tells me that if you can get in into real estate now at, higher rate and you can hold on till the 25 and lower it this would be a really great selling tool that i would be if i was a broker telling my borrowers like look you can get in don't worry about the rate today you know the market's making a huge bet that the rates are going to come down based on the treasuries right the the short term and the long-term treasury Mm -hmm. and the sofa like it's it's that's a you great, know, yeah. Right, you know great, what I'm saying? Like yeah. that, that would no, be that's a good a, selling point. To, that's a great tactical strategy. Like get into real estate now. Yeah. Because valuations have come down, right? I mean, right. so. They're softening and you, oh, can, yeah, I mean, you don't have to over overbid on a deal necessarily. I mean, you are, everybody's getting these, these, these notifications from brokers in your market, like what happened in your market. And values have come down. Like right. Five, six, seven percent. I don't follow the residential market that close because I'm not moving. I'm not looking at a house. But I mean, values will come down. Yeah. Right. 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 So by now, I mean, it, figure out a way to manage, um, if you can, the um, uh, the interest rate. Like, can you get through it? Can you work it? Can you right. can maybe you, get an for, interest only get a short term seven arm or whatever? Yeah. You know? Or can you like increase like for example, if you're on payroll, can you kick up your deductions so you can get more of your your yeah? Uh, so then you, you could know. afford it, right? Yeah. Right. So you can afford it. Figure that out because the real estate, if it's a good value, you know, later you refinance it and you'll be location. Yeah, and look, <laughs> well, and look. I mean, we all did this. I mean, so so many. I mean, like I bought my first house and I bought my second house and I built equity. Now my loan to value is like thirty percent. Right, which right. is, I mean, that's just a beautiful way 
And you didn't get to 30% necessarily from paying down your mortgage. No, my first deal, I was like at 90% leverage. I mean, my first, right? I mean, my first home that I bought. You, you got to that 37% mostly on an, on appreciation. Yeah. yeah you know, you probably home. paid your mortgage on some, but not. it's yeah. not like you're, you know, and you may have refied along the way, right? And right. What, what always happens is the smart thing to do if you really were playing the, um, I don't want to pay any interest game would be to, Go from a 30-year fix to a 20-year fix, then mm -hmm. to a 15-year fix, right? And then right. when you get to the lowest rate possible, never refi and just pay off your debt. But debt is also a massively great tool for building wealth. So I think that, you know, um, to your point of being low on your loan of value, I mean, it's like, come on. Like, why would great... I pay? Why would I pay down my loan? Yeah. Do I want to have my entire net worth tied up in my house? Right. That's crazy. That is crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, have a, an, I have a loan. I mean, a, I have a seven-figure loan. You have a great rate which you told us yeah. earlier about it's like that's free money especially in an inflationary yeah. six and a half percent you're you're paying two and a half three percent yeah that's free money it's really and and you know if 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 you're a borrower or if you're a broker talking to borrowers you can show them the long-term strategy yeah of I mean, of owning and how you build equity in a home i think that's a real you a good point it's a real critical selling point and great advisors are you know are great brokers, yeah, right? And to look at it from an advisory perspective. Yeah, I think and if so. you some, especially someone you want to stay with and use more than one and refer and rec mm -hmm. recommend that person, it would be someone who is a great advisor. Yeah, because if sure. they're just transactional, giving you a low rate and they don't have any other value, then when the rates go up, you're you're not really a value. Yeah, to for that, sure. To that person, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you've been with us for over an hour. I appreciate it. Uh, last question I love to ask is: You've been successful, clearly. Uh, are there any shout outs to someone that's helped you along the way? My older brother. Yeah. My brother, Greg, he was, um, he's been a great supporter of me my whole life. I mean, like, look, I started this to tell you, I, I was sleeping on his couch. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, I was looking for a job and he uh, took me in and helped me out. And he's been a broker for my brother's a very successful net lease broker. And then when I left the institutional commercial real estate business and I became a broker, mm -hmm. um, I mean, he taught me the concept of the wheel spinner. You know, the person who was wasting your time. Ah, oh, that's oh, a wheel spinner. The, the, and, I call them the time vampires. Yeah, the time vampire. <laughs> I just, you know, my brother is a machine. I mean, as a broker goes, I mean, he cold calls every day. He's like, wow. still he's quasi retired. I mean, like, if I, I'll call him and go, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm on the letter Q or I'm on the letter P." <laughs> he just has a day when he doesn't have anything to do. He's cold calling. He's calling people and just saying, "Hey, what are you up to?" Yeah. Here's what I'm seeing in the market. Staying he just has sharp, these conversations. Right? Yeah. Always, and he's built. A great I, I'm so surprised that mortgage brokers today, they've given up on on hustling. A lot, a lot of them. Yeah, we're we're like someone like that, like your brother, you know, is a is example of someone who just has a has a, what's the word? Uh, it's in his discipline. DNA. Like yeah, a, it's a he discipline, and it's he works like, from eight to five. You stay sharp. Yeah. If you don't, you get soft, and then you lose your sales skills. You you know, yeah. I think over the last couple years with these low rates, everyone kind of lost their sharpness. Well, they're taking orders, too easy. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's too easy. Yeah. No, yeah. He's been a great mentor to me. He, I mean, when I became an entrepreneur, he was a great supporter and then he's my best friend. So he's a good guy. He's been a, that's my shout out. Shout out to my brother, Greg. That's awesome. Well, he's well, done a good job to, to inspire you and help. Been you know, uh, it's amazing when you really take a minute to think of like, you know, who's helped us and there's always somebody, yeah. right? There are others too, but yeah, you know, yeah. If I, if I got to pick one, it's him. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for watching, listening. Again, if you like this, please comment. Please 
tell us what you like about it and reach out to Rocco here if you need any advice on commercial real estate. We'll leave a appreciate link that. on how to how to how to find you. Perfect. But um, appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next one. This has been awesome. Thanks for Thank coming you. on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, John. All right, buddy. Thanks. The Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. 